Hello and welcome to another edition of Shattered Lives. This is our Week in Crime podcast. Um, I'm Paul Healy and uh, introducing Michael O'Toole. Hello Paul, how are you? It's been another busy and another sad week really. Yeah, a a really dreadful week. This is uh, the kind of story that I think we all dread having to cover. Uh, Just a really horrendous random tragedy. Um, I recall you only said on the the pod last week, Mick, that the these are the types of tragedies that are the hardest to cover and the hardest to get your head around just the pure random nature of them um this is a very by by all accounts tragic accident uh, that occurred occurred on the N54 road there just outside of Clonus in County Monaghan uh, on Monday evening two girls uh in in the prime of their life uh, age 16 and 17 on their way to their Debs ball a, a huge night uh in their lives um we've all been to Deb's balls. We we we, re, to a certain extent, remember them. A uh, huge chapter uh, in in your young life, um, and, and I think that's the added uh, element to this tragedy that it just that this that this occurred on on what was a huge occasion in in both of these young girls' lives. So, Dalava Muhammad um, uh, and and her best friend uh, Kia McCann uh, were were sadly killed in this road crash. Um, just to give a bit of background, they're both. Largy College students, and uh, as I said, they were on their way to their Devs Ball with uh, several friends in a car that was being driven by Anthony McGinn, who's um, a family friend of Kia McCann's family. And uh, this this crash occurred, uh, as I said, on the N54. The car, it, I understand, is a, a BMW, and it, it it that's a main stretch of road there. In one sense, it's hard to get your head around it because it's it's not a windy road or a particularly dangerous bend or anything like that. But the car collided with a tree, um, uh, and subsequently we we've learned a few facts that maybe might go some way towards explaining how this tragedy occurred. But obviously, it's now the subject of a Garda investigation. But it appears to have been a very wet day. Uh, that the road, the road supposedly was quite wet, and there is a theory that that aquaplaning played a part. That the car, um, uh, maybe you could explain what aquaplaning is, Mick. Yeah, I mean, so basically, we were told about this on Monday. I was I was on the late shift on Monday evening, and just to go into this, um. If you remember, we have a work sort of WhatsApp group where the late person tells people what's happening, tells other journalists and the news editors and stuff. So I got the tip about it and I knew it was bad and I knew it was very bad and, and we, we broke it on Twitter. But I I was told the two children were dead at the time, but we didn't. And we couldn't say that. We can't say that when you're, you're tweeting it. You just said it's a very, very serious road accident. But I think most people knew. But what, what got me was, you know, I told the the group Right, look, there's been a really bad accident in Monaghan. Seems to have been a bar crash, but probably two young girls dead, but they were on their way to their Debs. And just the reaction from all you guys, the news editor and everybody else, it was just, it was really hard just to, to take it in. Just one of the happiest days of their life. And this happened. And just the reaction of all you guys showed just how shocking it was. Because, you know, journalists are very hard bitten people and we tend not to react. But that reaction that night, showed how upset everybody was and I think that's it explains why the whole country has been devastated by this just the sort of hope and you know aspiration that they had in their eyes and it's very difficult but it, to go back to your question aquaplaning is you know the, I was told that they were looking at there'd been really heavy rain possibility of a mini sort of flash flood in that area 
And aquaplaning is when a driver effectively goes on a very wet surface and loses control. Obviously, the the car hit a tree. So the car, obviously, without, you know, prejudice in any guard investigation, the driver obviously lost control. So something happened to make him lose control. And the theory that they're looking at, although it has been investigated, was initially was they were looking at the whole idea of the, the, the water on the road meant that he, he lost control, essentially. Yeah, uh, that's initially the case. Um, I don't want to preempt any Garda investigation either. Obviously, uh, um, the, the, that, that's the subject of an investigation. But uh, I, I was subsequently told um, after this tragedy occurred that the guards have since obtained um, dash cam footage of this, a very clear uh, footage of the entire incident. I think it leads up to and shows the actual crash itself because there was a car behind that had a dash cam. So they have footage of the whole thing. They know how it occurred. Um, my understanding is that that the the vehicle in question did uh, overtake another vehicle very shortly before uh, the crash occurred. So that'll obviously they'll, they'll be looking at that and just the the driving and the the whole all conditions will be considered. Um, just Mister McGinn is he's, he's sixty years of age and he is currently as as of time of recording this podcast he is in hospital in in Belfast uh, in a critical condition. So he is very very serious. Um, fighting for his life effectively um meanwhile um just there were two other people injured in the crash uh avon muhammad she is the sister of dalava muhammad she's 18 years of age uh she was initially in a critical condition she's now um in a more stable condition i'm told still serious but no longer considered critical um and she is in beaumont hospital uh, she was transferred there overnight um has very serious head injuries um obviously has lost her sister very very difficult time for her and her family um and then just uh Oshian Clerken then he's a 18 year old man and he was uh he was Kia's Deb's date if you will there's a very heartbreaking photograph of the two of them together um just very shortly before the the crash occurred um there was also a photograph of Kia actually uh shown today at her funeral which we'll speak about now um which was taken an hour beforehand. There's just beautiful photos of the two of them, of uh, it, you know, dressed up in their in their dresses, getting ready for that big night in their lives. They're, they're, sadly, those are the photos that are all over the papers. Um, they are the last photographs ever taken of them, and um, yeah, that's oh, just dreadful, sad. I, I find it unbearable. Uh, just just for listeners, um, and we, we I did speak about covering car crashes and the randomness and how I I, I find it very difficult to. Because our job is to explain and sometimes you just can't explain random accidents in the wrong place at the wrong time. I, 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 I the older I get and look, it was very hard for me because my daughter is just about to do her own Debs. So when I heard about the Debs, I, I you know, you, you, you try to be professional, but obviously you're humans as well. But I just want to ask you, Paul, you were up there and I'll be honest, I was supposed to go up. I'm glad you went up because, as I say, I find it very hard to cover. I, I covered the deaths of the, the family in, in Turkey uh, and it's it just very hard. How hard did you find it up there? Well, I think just to give people an insight into how our job works, it can be a little bit. Um, how do I put this? I don't want to say cold, uh, but but it can be a little. We have to, to a certain extent, remove ourselves from, I guess, the emotion of it mm. to a degree uh at that point in time going down that morning uh going up to monaghan um 
we had the details obviously that two girls had died and others were critical we didn't know the names at that stage of the deceased and my job very much like the job of any reporter was to get as much detail as possible which included getting the names of the victims and then in turn photographs of the victims that's never easy to do because you're wary of the fact that look people are obviously grieving it's a very difficult time and emotions are high and uh, sadly you have to do that you have to go there and and speak to people that that knew them and to try and verify who they were and obtain a photograph of them and, and we have a system in our paper it might be different in other newspapers but when you obtain a photograph and you think it is the person you show it to as many people as you can ideally at least three people uh, who know those persons uh, intimately well ideally their whole lives or for, for several years and ideally a family member especially when they're very young um, if a family member has I suppose given their blessing to give you a photograph that's really really what you're you're, you're, you're seeking you're you're hoping and you're mindful that um, you're trying to pay tribute to these people and they're they're more than just a statistic uh, we've said this before in, in my mind at least and I know that you feel the same way Mick that it's about it's about uh, sharing who they were as a person. They're human beings. They're more than just a road traffic st- statistic. And, um, you know, I think most people recognize that. So it, it really wasn't long before. I mean, now the day is social, days of social media. There were tributes up to uh, Kia McCann uh, pretty quickly. Uh, got, I got the name, uh, confirmed it, and, and the photographs then. I mean, they, they confirmed themselves. There were plenty of tributes, obviously, on social media. And... Uh, all of that. So, I mean, that's the job side of it. That's the, the, the I suppose, taking emotions out of it side of it and just, just trying to explain how it works. Um, Yeah, look, I, I, it, it's only afterwards that I suppose maybe it hit me, you know. Um, you know, I think I, I've, I've, I've recently just, I've, I've, after this podcast, I've, I've just watched the funeral uh, of Kia McCann and I, I, it really hit me then. I just watched her... Um, her family, uh, she has many siblings, um, and I watched her mother uh, just walking out of the church, uh, putting her hand on the coffin, and she was actually holding her baby in her other arm. So she was holding her youngest child in her arm, and she had her other hand placed on the white coffin as they went out of the church. And it just, I mean, it was just horrible. Um, I, I just really, really felt for that poor mother and that family, and it was just heartbreaking. And yeah um i just my heart goes out to that family and and to all those that knew her i just can't imagine it just a couple of points just um i I was down the country on another job today and i met a a close relative of someone uh, i have recently done a story about who died and um we very rarely get that opportunity to talk to them it was it was some time but not a long time after the death and i met this person and she actually said, Michael, I want to thank you for, the, for your stories. She'd be a mirror reader. Our stories go in the star in the mirror. And she said she was very happy. And that sort of, that meant a lot to me because you're right, Paul, our, sto- our job is to tell their stories. And I've often said this, but just what that lady said to me today, it does give us validation for what we do. But it, it is, it's a hard job. And, and I was going to say, I'd be interested in your views on this. I have to be totally honest. I tried not to watch the news or read the stories about Monaghan. I, and I, I wonder, do you know where you talk, people talk about photographers, they have sort of have a protection 
when they've got the they're looking through their viewfinder at something and they're not there as humans, they're as photographers. I sort of think when I get into you might call it work mode, that you and I would get into that other journalists would get into. We sort of I think we sort of mentally protect ourselves because it's this is our job and we're doing it. But when I look at say poor poor Monaghan Christ, I'm looking at it as a human, as a parent, and I find it unbearable. I have to say. So I think there is a lacuna between us as journalists doing our job and trying to be professional and us as people when we're not I definitely look at things through a different prism when I'm not working on a story. And I find I find cases of kids I just can't. It's just but it I can't you know, you do it when you're working, but when it's when you're off and you're looking at it as, as an ordinary person, so I, 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 I just, it's too hard. Yeah, I think I, I, I suppose I subconsciously do. I, I, I've never really thought about it, but I, I, when I think, when I think about it now, I realize I probably wouldn't, uh, or would try not to pay attention to this too much because it's very hard if I wasn't working on it. Um, having said that, there has been a huge amount of interest in the story because I think every parent out there, uh, anyone who has a child their heart the whole country has just has just felt uh, an affection for those families and and heartbreak uh, for those two young girls They'll, as we speak now that it'll probably be on the front pages of the papers again tomorrow for a third day you know that reflects how people feel about it you know? uh, the pictures of of the of the young of the girls or the young women in their dead dresses was bad I found the pictures of them, in, the photographs of them in their school gear much worse. Really put it into it just, perspective. It yeah. really, really, it, look, they were young women, but they were kids at the same time. And uh, I saw the pictures and it uh, almost broke me, I have to say, as a parent and as a person. But, you know, it is it is tough. But look, it's, it's our job and we have to do it. Yeah. And listen, uh, just, I suppose we'll leave that topic there, but just... Rest in peace to uh to, to Lava Muhammad and to Kia McCann and uh, thoughts are with their family and friends. Um, and here's hoping we're not writing about something like this again next week. Uh, it just it, it just seems to be more and more of these horrendous tragedies. Yeah, a hundred deaths, a hundred deaths on the road this year so far. That's a staggering number. Um, yeah, we'll move on to uh. Just the latest with the Garda Representative Association and the ongoing dispute with the Garda Commissioner. This, we spoke about it last week, was a huge moment when the GRA decided that they would ballot uh, their members. Um, How many members are in the GRA, Mick? Uh, Right. People are saying there are 12,000. That's impossible because there are currently 11,100 members of Garda rank. So the maximum it can be is 11,100. but. It, 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 there are some guardy, like there are some sergeants who are not part of the association, but the fa- you know, 99% of them are. So you're talking at least 11,000, but it can't be more than 11,100 because that's all there are. They're all are of Garda rank. So the GRA obviously is for members of Garda rank. There's the Association of Garda Sergeants and Inspectors, self-titled. Then you have Chiefs and Supers Associations. So the GRA, it's the biggest one and it's probably... The, I'm not going to say most important, but you know it attracts the most attention, shall we say? And, and just just to remind people, the the center of this dispute really has been the roster system. This this COVID roster uh, system that the guards have had has been largely favorable and popular. Uh, the Garda Commissioner, it, it, I'm summing up a lot here, but the Garda Commissioner wants to to revert to an old roster system that's deeply unpopular, unsociable working hours, and 
Um, when you already have a Garda force that is declining and people leaving for all sorts of reasons, uh, th- th- this roster issue is a huge, huge issue of contention. Um, and it led to a significant moment, in fairness, a recognition by the Garda commissioner uh, today that he would meet um, with the GRA uh, after months of, of this dispute rolling over uh, and no talks and talking of going to the Workplace Relations Commission. He finally had another face-to-face meeting with um, the hierarchy of the GRA, so to speak. And But the result of that, Mick, uh, I think we, as we both know and we've heard from many people at this stage within the organization, uh, it, it, it didn't go well, did it? No, so Ronan Slevin, who is the interim general secretary of the GRA, put out a circular to each CEC member. I'm going to pretend you got it and give it to me, but I have it here. Have you have you heard? Have you seen it? I've seen his statement. I haven't seen. Uh, no, haven't seen that. Oh, okay. Well, so basically, he said that the commissioner wanted to discuss some of the concerns recently raised. Now, that some is really important because. We were given an indication, you know, by, by people yesterday that he wanted to raise the concerns, but neither sent some of the concerns. And essentially, what has happened, he did. The, the GRA, Mr. Slevin, said in his message to CEC members, "We are disappointed to report that there was no meaningful progress on the issue of rosters. In fact, the commissioner reiterated his intention to revert to the pre-COVID roster in November and stated that his team have already begun preparation." for the implementation of this. So the commissioner is not returning. He did talk about, you know, because there were there were concerns, say, about training, about suspensions, you know, various ancillary things. The elephant in the room is rosters, and it's 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 a very important issue for most Garda members. The commissioner wasn't up for talking about that. He talked about everything else, from what I understand. But he is fixed to go ahead. Now, one, you know, slightly nuanced aspect, what the commissioner has said was, if there's no deal between the representative associations and Garda and Garda HQ by November, he will bring it in. So, in a sense, he's really putting it up to the GRA and the AGSA. But okay, if if you don't have a deal with this, this is going to happen. So, you know, some sources would say that he's sort of trying to call the GRA's bluff. I don't know if that's the best strategy, the commissioner's strategy to have, or whatever. So, really, the 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 roster will change. In November, if in the absence of another deal. So I would say the representative associations are now under pressure to get another deal. So it might, you know, who knows, it might work for the commissioner to his benefit. But what I what I think we'll say, that, look, uh, we did think that the, the vote of no confidence in the in the commissioner was going to be this week. But I th- it, but just the, the statement, it's been pushed back. So it's going to be in the next three or four weeks. As I said, there are approximately 11,000 members who can vote. What percentage do you think are going to vote the commission, against the commissioner, Paul? You know, is it going to be like one of those uh, uh, tin despot states that they have? They vote for the the, the president, and he gets ninety nine point nine nine percent. I don't think it'll be that high, but I would it be high eighties? I I think it's, it's the impression I got from the uh, from the GRA conference earlier this year, like that there, w- there was a reservation towards voting for a motion of no confidence, and there certainly were more reserved um, conservative guards there who were kind of let's give him a chance and let's not take that drastic step i think matters have deteriorated significantly since then um so yeah i mean you could be close to 80 percent of dissatisfaction at this point tell me what do you think the consequences of a vote 
of no confidence against the commissioner would be because it, just to explain it is unprecedented it has never happened before there there have been, there the CEC which is the ruling body the governing body of the, the GRA had a vote of no confidence in previous justice minister Alan Shatter that was probably a decade ago I'm trying to remember when he was there but that was the CEC this is every Garda GRA member in the country 11,000 so if they vote overwhelmingly against them where will that leave them you know will it have any effect well I was just going to say could this bring down the Garda commissioner uh, the, um, there, there is a view that the commissioner is uh, bulletproof because he has the support of the cabinet essentially he was brought in and to the, do a job uh, and the minister has only very recently asserted her confidence in him she spoke of her full confidence and i don't think it's like football chairman and football managers i think if the commissioner say, or the minister says she has full support in him she has full support in him but it, 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 i mean i think it's fair to say it will it, it could how can it not damage him if his force is officers who are out in the beat every day protecting the people and the state say they don't have confidence in him in him that has to affect him and my I wonder would his bulletproofness I know that's not a word I've just made it up in political service, uh, circles would that be damaged or dented or tarnished by this in other words would the politicals I'm not talking about Justice Minister Helen McEntee because it's all politicians feed into the system if politicians start to say uh, you know I'm not overly happy about this could that put a bit of a luster on the confidence that uh, Mr. Harris enjoys at the minute from the whole government. I, 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 I would, I can't see how it wouldn't damage him. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I think the government would have to take it extremely seriously. You're talking about close to twelve thousand uh, members from Garda Shiakana who would express their dissatisfaction or or no confidence uh, in their in the boss. Uh, I think that if the government were to ignore that, that would be a drastic move for them. Uh, it, it just it would show that. The government itself is is ignorant to the concerns of members on the ground. Now we're talking hypothetical here. We don't know what's going to happen. The vote we won't know the result of the vote until November. But but I I think it, yeah the government would have to take that extremely seriously. So it, uh, it would be fascinating to see what happens. And I'm just into the rounds of speculation. As I said, we were given indications earlier this week that the vote would happen next week, but it's not be pushed back maybe three or four weeks. I wonder, and we never know. But I wonder, is there stuff going on behind the scenes? You know, who knows? But that might be one indication of why it's... Be- I might be completely wrong, but I'm just thinking, well, it's supposed to be next week. Now it's going to be three or four weeks. What will happen in between? Mm, that would who indicate knows? something. something's up, doesn't it? Well, I mean, yeah. Because it, 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 they did think it was going to take place next week and now it's been put back. So let's watch this space, shall we? We'll be disinterested, interested observers. I, I imagine we'll be talking about it again very soon. Um just want to move on to uh, just briefly touch on a topic we spoke about here before, which is Barbie Kardashian, uh, a very violent sex offender who has been in prison now uh, for some time, um, is prone to um, sexual violence and, and is a, a very, very dangerous prisoner. I, I, probably the most challenging or one of the most challenging prisoners they've ever had. As we spoke about here, I won't, I won't rehearse too much detail, but on this pod before that she um barbie kardashian was was located in the women's prison in limerick and there was a debate over whether barbie kardashian could be kept there uh given the gender that uh that she uh, that she has which it which she is a um she's a legal woman she's a recognized woman woman uh 
Yeah, so I mean, the difficulty was obviously she's she's prone to sexual violence and in particular towards women. And um, as as you have written before, Mick, she was making threats uh, that that were being taken very seriously towards staff and other prisoners. And while she was, yes, under a very serious 23 hour lockdown regime, meaning she couldn't actually interact with any prisoners, she nonetheless was considered um, a major problem and a potential threat. So the the development is just to explain that the development is she has been moved now uh to a male facility uh that in in Limerick the male facility in Limerick um and is now located on the D landing there um the only other prisoner that she is in any close proximity to of course interestingly enough is Jonathan Dowdall so there you go but she uh but Barbie Kardashian remains on a on a strict solitary confinement regime can't mix with any other prisoners. And if we recall, there was a a Garda investigation. The guards confirmed this into alleged threats she made to to women prison staff. So um, to explain, she was she wasn't separated entirely from women because there were a couple of serious women killer, you know, there were female killers on the landing with her, and there was another transgender prisoner who I understand doesn't cause any problems. Um, but so Kardashian was kept away from him but was in the same landing and some women would have to walk past her cell and there were various things but the threats against women female prison staff prisoner prison staff was obviously very serious and there was a, a criminal complaint made so i'm sure they had to do something to protect the women and the, the women staff so look it's it is this issue it's a massive debate in england and you sort of feel for the prison service because what what can they do i mean they're stuck. They really are stuck between a rock and a hard place on this. Yeah, extremely difficult. And and the prison service is still updating their uh, policy in relation to how they handle transgender inmates. Now, to be fair, this really wasn't a transgender issue anyway. Uh, it was a, a violent prisoner issue, uh, who who is a danger to literally everybody. Um, but but obviously the decision has been made. Uh, and and they are changing their policy anyway. Uh, where where they can be able to move a transgender inmate to either a male or female facility. They have the freedom to do that now. Um, to be fair, Barbie Kardashian is not mixing with anybody and probably for the remainder of their imprisonment never will anyway. Uh, They're very dangerous. I, They're very, very, very dangerous prisoner. I mean, to men, to men and women, let's be realistic. I mean... Yeah, uh, and that's why they're located on this very specific landing, which we've spoken about before. It, it's a very small landing. It has a couple of exercise bikes on it, and uh, it has it can accommodate up to 10, maybe 12 prisoners. But the only two prisoners located on it now are Dowdall and Barry Kardashian, so two very interesting characters. <laughs> and didn't we, didn't we speak about this also? That isn't there a new... Is it effectively a new prison or there's a new block being built where the, 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 the solution probably be to have them in there really isn't it isn't that what you know well where we last left it was the prison service were considering basically creating a landing all by itself for transgender inmates um and that maybe that may be facilitated in this new facility yeah but uh again I, this isn't really a transgender issue uh it, it's it's a serious serious violent prisoner sexual violent prisoner issue i think and they're dealing with it as best they can and to repeat the, the the other transgender prisoner who was on that landing, not a bother. No problems. No problems. No problems. So it's yeah. obviously Kardashian is a serious problem. 
it's an interesting case. Uh, again, I feel like it's another one of those we'll keep talking about because there's just so many developments in it. I, I don't envy the prison service having to deal with either of those prisoners for completely different reasons. Uh, that's Dowdall and, and Kardashian. Um, we'll just move on because obviously this is still rolling into another week where the discussion on violence in Dublin uh, continues. Um, I note that uh, our colleague Louise Byrne there uh, just did an exclusive interview with the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, and actually spoke to him and got his personal views on what it's like in Dublin at the moment. And he said that he feels safe walking around Dublin. Bear in mind, he does have a guard escort. Uh, but he said he... F- a, a special detective unit, armed escort. Yes. So, you yeah. know. So he says he feels safe uh, walking. And he mentioned, uh, signaled out that he mentioned um, that he walked through Parnell Street. He went to see Oppenheimer. Uh, and he has been in O'Connor Street a couple of times recently. Um, he's signaled... He's, Signaling out those areas because, look, those are the areas we're all talking about in the inner city, which where all this violence is supposedly happening. And he's saying, well, I'm walking around the uh, inner city and I feel safe. Um, I would bear in mind that that, that he's that he's probably safer than most people. Uh, but look, it's interesting. There's a, a buddy of mine on Facebook. And he, I won't say who he is, but he'd be quite well known sort of activism. And uh, uh, I don't know what he talks to crime car like me for. But anyway, so we get on. But he was saying. He'd been out in Dublin for the first time, tipsy, he said, you know, and he was walking around inner city Dublin and he, he felt it. He he absolutely felt it. Has been, he said it's been a couple of years he's been out on a Friday or Saturday night and he could feel the atmosphere and he could feel the tension. So, I'm, I mean, I, I, I said in the last part that I, when I'm walking around, I haven't had any incidents and I feel grand, but I was just struck by what he said because he'd be able to look after himself in fairness, you know, uh, and he felt there was something there. He did feel it. There's definitely something at play. And as we'll talk about now, I mean, even in the wake of this attack on Stephen Termini, the the American tourist, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later now, there's been several more assaults. Just to update people first on Stephen Termini, um, because since we've spoken, his two sons, uh, Mike and Jesse, have actually flown over uh, from New York and uh, they arrived here, went straight to Beaumont Hospital to see their dad. And the latest news, which is good news, is is that um, Stephen Termini is getting uh, better. He has awoken from his coma, and uh, his his injured eye is improving. But it's it's still it's still not known um, just how much his vision has been affected. Uh, sadly, he he hasn't been speaking, and he hasn't um, he isn't he doesn't appear to be aware uh, that his sons are here. So yeah, he he has a road ahead of him. But uh, as we mentioned before, this was a case where originally it was thought that uh, Mr. Tamini's condition was very grave indeed. Um, thank God he's improving uh, very slowly. And his sons have been incredible. They've been all over the news. Um, I've had the pleasure of speaking to them. As of several other news outlets, they've been on RTE and Virgin Media, etc. And uh, they want justice and they, they are also highlighting the wider issue of violence in Dublin and have even gone to the scene. Uh, uh, so even though they're from another country entirely uh that they've they've felt th- that they have a platform that's what mike has said uh, to highlight uh the issue of violence in dublin but since that attack there have been several more there's a couple that you've covered in the last couple of days mick yeah so i mean regretfully there's been a death there was a, a man called martin lynn who lived in the, the whitehall area of north central dublin and last sunday at about half four he was making his way home and I think he was on foot and appears to have got into some sort of altercation with a motorist. So it's, it's, it's a road rage incident. Now, 
as unfortunately has happened so many times, and we, we can talk about this, Paul, Mr. Lin, uh, who was an office worker, he was age 30, he appears to have been punched and fallen down and hit his head. And now he was brought to Beaumont Hospital. And you and I will know, now I know that was the nearest hospital, but you and I will know, Paul, that very often people down the country or in other parts of Dublin will be assaulted. And when you and I hear they're brought to Beaumont, that's the, the national expert site for dealing with head injuries. So you always think, oh, it's really bad. But unfortunately, as I say, he was attacked around half four on Sunday morning and he lost his fight for life uh, on Tuesday afternoon. So God love the poor family. Barney, very well known and a very well respected family in the, the Whitehall area. So obviously people are very shocked. So it was being treated as a serious assault. It is going to be upgraded now because poor Mr. Lynn has succumbed to his injuries. So that's one to keep an eye on. As of today, I don't think they have any suspects and they they have appealed for witnesses. And what just what you were saying about the it's an interesting point, what you were saying about the the, the crash that it, uh, in Monaghan that it was caught on dashcam. You'll know that every Garda appeal now, and they did with Mr. Lynn, call, urges any witnesses, especially people with dashcam. I have a dashcam. Have you got a dashcam? I don't. No, no. Oh, I, well, I do. Uh, and the number of people I see with him, so they're, 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 they're very common and they can help Garda because they are an unblinking eye and people do come forward with, with dashcam and they have been responsible for helping Garda solve uh, a lot of crimes. But look, I, I don't think at this stage there's any suspect nominated or identified but you know it was in central Dublin although it was half four I'm sure there were plenty passing by because there would be still passing motorists and that sort of thing so it's one to keep an eye on but just obviously Mr Termini was a tourist and I got a week on I think it was Tuesday about an uh, a, a tourist from London who was assaulted over the weekend so I did a bit, a bit of digging and, and we, we got it confirmed but it turned into a really bizarre story. Essentially, two men, a, a London tourist and another man who I believe is foreign but is living in, in Dublin, on Sunday evening, within an hour of each other, the two men were attacked by a pair of women each. So the Guardian would believe it. And this, it was the same MO and it's the same sort of thing that happened. So the Guardian would believe That's so unusual. But essentially, yeah. So essentially, Guardian believed that within an hour, one on Camden Place, another in Stevens Green West, two women... I saw a man approached him and attacked him. And what happened in each case was the man reported that he was walking along. Two women approached him, asked him for directions. He was talking to them and one of them took his mobile phone. He started struggling and then he got clocked and knocked out and woke up on the ground and came to. And his mobile phone was gone. And in the, in, I think in one of them, they took his uh, necklace or chain from his neck. Uh, and then the other fella walking along, same thing, two women asking for directions, take his mobile phone somehow, maybe he had his phone out or whatever. He remonstrates and tries to get it back and they clock him again and he's knocked out and he oh comes to on the phone. So there's a significant guard investigate. It's Pier Street Guard Station. The same team are investigating two attacks. They're obviously, I mean, it's not for us to say, but, you know, I'd say I'd be amazed if it wasn't the two, same two women who carried out both attacks. But it's just, firstly, it was a, 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 another tourist who'd come here, was socialising and was attacked. But secondly, there's two women going around attacking men. That so is it's, just it's, I, crazy, yeah. Mo- most uh, men are responsible for most attacks and men are also most victims in attacks. Very rare for women to attack men like that, but it happened twice within the space of an hour. So it's, I did not see that story coming at all. 
No, that's bonkers. Uh, God, the world's gone mad. Uh, I'd I'd love to know that we we'll, we'll obviously will hopefully learn the full context of that. Uh, when the when the Garda investigation concludes, but that's yeah. highly unusual. Um, yeah, I think this we're going to be having this conversation for weeks more to come. Is there something at play here in Dublin? Like, it, has it become more unsafe? Uh, since COVID, I mean, or or is it a case of like, are, you know, are we now hearing about more incidents because? Uh, a highlight has been put on it, I suppose. You know, that's what I wonder. But even still, that that incident that you're talking about, that doesn't sound like that happens every day. No, but um, without going inside baseball, people hear about uh, attacks like this largely because we find out about them. Yeah, now, I know the Guardi do. You know, the like for example, with the assault that Mister Lenny wasn't named because it was an assault. You know, Guardi publicised that, but there's not a lot of assaults that the Guardi press office aren't told about and they don't publicize it. It's us hearing things yes. and then we go to the press office. So our job is to tell people what, what is happening. So, you know, if it weren't for us, a lot of it, an awful lot of it would go unheralded or unknown to people. So I, I think that is important. But one thing I might suggest, maybe our listeners could either DM you or me or Kieran Bradley if they want to tell us what their experiences of Dublin or, or you know, antisocial behavior. That's a really good idea. I would, I would be really interested to see do our listeners feel unsafe out at night, whether in Dublin or anywhere else around their country? Because, you know, you and I, we might have a skewed view because we know guards and, you know, we look at all the statistics. What do our listeners, and we know there's thousands of them, what do they think? Are they unsafe? <laughs> do they feel grand? God, I hope there is. So get in touch with us. Send one of us a DM. <laughs> well, there are. There are. Send, one of us, send one of us a DM or, you know, you can do it publicly. We, we, we love hearing from people. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, I, it's we, we love engagement. So, yeah, feel free to send us a DM on Twitter, uh, either Michael or myself or Kieran Bradley. Um, we'll happily discuss it on the next episode. Um, I think we'll leave it there. Um, that that's It's been a heavy enough week. So thanks very much for your patience. And uh, I know we didn't do two podcasts this week. We try to give you at least two every week. So... Uh, we'll be back to you Monday, hopefully, all going well. We, we, I just want to tell you, we are going to talk about one. I just think it's interesting. Um, just I know we never re- we rarely highlight them, but I think this is an interesting one. Uh, our news editor, Billy Scanlon, contacted me a few weeks ago because he, when he was a journalist, he doorstepped a killer called Brian Curdy, who's in, like, for murder, horrible case. I remember covering it. And he's doorstepped and he spoke about the look in his face. And he said, you know, Mick, you and Paul have spoken to a lot of killers. So we're going to talk about what it is like to talk to killers. We've spoken to some evil people. So we're going to talk about our experiences coming face to face. I've spoken to killers in Ireland and in Spain and I'm sure other worlds I've spoken to really bad people and I've spoken to people who have been in, who have I think have been good people who have been in horrible situations. So we'll talk about that uh, in the coming days. Yeah, look forward to it. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks everybody.